Um, well, welcome to Church for the City this week. We're in the second part of a series on community, and it's kind of weird doing one online and one uh, in person, so hopefully you've been able to track with us. Um, but if you're a local, you probably know that this past Wednesday was um, Australia Day, and uh, as, an, as an immigrant to this country, I've been a, a keen student of culture, uh, trying to study what's going on, trying to learn what's, what's happening around us, and... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you. Australia Day seems a bit confusing for me. I, I understand that it's a day of celebration, but also there's some uh, more complex and more deeper issues that seem to come to the surface. Um, I'm not going to go down that path this morning, but it did get me thinking about what actually makes an Australian. So I've got a few ideas, and I need your feedback. So I'm going to give you some situations. You tell me whether you think that makes an Australian or not. You can sort of give me a thumbs up if you agree, or thumbs down or not, or somewhere in between. All right, so let's, uh, we'll do a quick poll, so let me know what you think. All right, here's the first one. Um, what makes someone an Australian? Consumes at least one meat pie a week. Yep, that's a thumbs up. Nah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, someone who has a prime minister who can sink a pint. It's pretty consistent. All right. All right. Someone who speaks English. I threw in a serious one there. Jeez, okay. All right. Um, what about being able to watch five consecutive days of Boxing Day test cricket? There's a couple of big thumbs up there. All right. What about someone who has a personalized complex coffee order? Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. That's a very Australian thing. What about someone who was actually born in Australia? Does that make you Australian? All right. Well, I found a study... I found a study which actually asked this question about uh, what makes someone Australian. There were 55,000 respondents. And you'll never guess what the top thing is that makes you Australian. Following the rules. So, <laughs> yeah, as an immigrant, I've definitely found that to be a, a very pertinent thing as I've received a few speeding fines along the way. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to go down the path of religion and nationality today as to perhaps what makes an Australian Christian but rather, I wanted to use this um, as, a, as an opportunity for us to think about what actually makes a community and uh, what do we have in common that we can call ourselves a church community. So we're going to read the same passage that we read from last week because there was just so much good stuff in there. So if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, we're reading from verse um, 42. It'll be on the screen as well for you. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So as I mentioned last week, I, I really believe that this passage reveals two major building blocks for us for what a community might look like. And if you look in verse 44, that's what it says there. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. So as we're in part two, last week we looked at what does it mean to be together. Uh, and if you missed that, you can jump onto our YouTube channel, subscribe, and then you can watch the message from last week so that hopefully this one makes a little bit more sense too. But in a nutshell, my, my message from last week was, was just an exhortation to you to intentionally engage in our community, whether it be on Sundays together in our, in our corporate gathering or whether it's midweek through being part of a city group. 
we really want this community relationship to be a mutually beneficial one where you get to be a benefit to us as a community, but you also benefit from being part of us. And we'd love to have you being part of our community and intentionally engage with us. But today we're going to look at the aspect of what it means to be in common. And as we've, as I kind of picked up from all your thumbs up, as an Australian society where there is so much, so many different kinds of people, so many different backgrounds, so many different nationalities, lots of things that are different, there must be something that makes us gather together, something that we have in common. So the first thing that I think that we have in common is that we have a common story. And when I say common, I don't mean that we all have the same view or the same worldview or the same opinions. In fact, I think if your Christian community does have the same worldview and does have the same opinions on everything, you probably need to rethink that. Um, cliques might be kind of the community that just happens to you. Kind of if you think of when you're at school, like you're put into the same group or the same sports team, it kind of just happened and that became your little clique because you all like the same kind of thing. Whereas I think a Christian community is actually something that is, has a lot more intentionality and consideration to it. But I think underneath all of these factors, um, the common story that we have is that we have all fallen short of the perfect standard that God has for us. We have all sinned. A sin is a very Christian easy word. So let's just double click on that word and let's have a look and make sure we understand what sin actually means. Sin is basically overstepping the mark or the boundary that God has put in place. To phrase it more pertinently or more directly, it's deliberate disobedience against God. One way of looking at sin is to actually break through the layers or the levels to actually understand what's going on when we choose to disobey God. So I'm going to use an example from my own life, which happens more often than I'd like to admit. But when my wife and I fight, I often struggle to forgive her, and um, I like to hold a grudge until my point is proven. And I find it quite difficult to say sorry, and I like to let her stew for a few hours before I actually make any effort to, (laughs) to repair or to restore. Okay, so let's just actually look at what that situation, maybe that resonates with you, but you could probably take anything like that and let's dig into what's going on. So you can have a look at this little diagram, maybe that helps you. But on the surface level, you sort of have the behavioral sin or the struggle, which in my case is unforgiveness. But if you, look, if you dig a little deeper in there, you'll see that actually the idol that I'm worshiping is myself, because I actually think that I'm better than my wife and that I am superior to her. So if you dig beneath that, that's why I'm not willing to forgive her dig a little bit deeper as to what's going on there, is actually I ultimately don't believe the gospel. I don't believe that someone else is due some forgiveness because I actually haven't remembered how much I have been forgiven, what the gospel actually means. So when I actually grasp what the gospel is to me and how much I have been forgiven, then I should be so quick to forgive others. So hopefully that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what sin is, but this probably establishes, in sure it does, establishes all as sinners, that we've all fallen short, and we've all been proven guilty. In Romans 3, it actually says, the wages of sin is death. So that's a pretty ominous sign that we're all guilty, therefore we all deserve to die. And in fact, we all deserve to spend eternity separated from from God. God is is holy, and He's perfect, and he, He cannot have any association with sin. And our sin keeps us separate from Him. In fact, the Scripture says that we were dead to God. And that's, thankfully, not the end. There's a but. That's not the end of the story. We are so grateful to God because He went to extreme lengths for us that He sent His Son Jesus down from heaven, down to earth. He came into the world. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't do. And He died the death that we deserved for the penalties that we had for our sin. And then He rose from the dead so that we could be in perfect relationship with God again. 
We have all these different backgrounds and all these different stories, but yet we have this common story. Just have a look around you today. There are uh, a vast variety of people, if you're online, maybe on your own, but you can hopefully imagine. But they are all ages and colors and sizes and languages and nationalities, where if someone just came in from the outside there, they wouldn't perhaps, <coughs> excuse me, they wouldn't be able to perhaps establish why are we gathering all together. But when you hang around us for a little bit longer, you'll see that this is the reason that we are gathered here together. And amazingly, God has actually extended his, his mercy and he's rescued us through his grace as we sing about this morning. And if, if you're not a Christ follower this morning, this doesn't have to be your story too. You can be part of God's story and he can rescue you and bring you away from that separation that you experience. So now that we have this, this common story together, what brings us together? Well, it's actually what is our common calling or the glue that has us together. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, it kind of tells us what some of these different ingredients are of this glue that binds us together. So Ephesians 4 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So now that we have this common calling, we are, we are called to live a life that is set apart, a life where we strive to be more like Jesus, to, to live for God alone and to worship Him. And having been justified by God, which is uh, meaning declared righteous or declared perfect, your sins are not counted against you, uh, and you are called to a life of sanctification. And that's really fancy Christianese words, but you can use it to impress people. But it's just a big, big word for meaning becoming the person that God has designed you to be, to be continued transformed into His image. And as a community, we want, to, we want to be like that. We want to become more like Jesus. And this is not a journey we're expected to do on our own. We certainly can't do it on our own. We'll fail. We've got to walk together. We've got to stir one another onto maturity. We've got to be that iron sharpens iron kind of relationship. We've got to disciple one another to know God more. And we've got to work so hard to get rid of that sin and pursue God-likeness, Christ-likeness as well. A community that just kind of hangs together and eats together and chats about sport or whatever. It's just a holy huddle and doesn't challenge or confront one another about each other's sin and provoke one another to maturity is actually just a waste of time. It's totally missing the point of what the gospel is all about. So we've looked at our common story and now we've looked at our common calling. But finally, let's have a look at what are our common goals. And as Christ followers here on earth, our job is to build the kingdom of God. In fact, the reality is that God is actually building his own kingdom. Okay, here's one for your Twitter today, is that the church does not have a mission, but rather God's mission has a church. That's good, eh? Thanks. And by, and, and by God's grace, he's given us the tools to be able to do his mission for him. And we get to be a part of that, which is really exciting. If you look back at that passage that we read from Acts, Peter was preaching and 3,000 people came to faith on that day. Uh, and at the end of the passage in verse 47, you're told that God added to that community daily those who were being saved. The kingdom of God in that Jerusalem town was, was exploding. This community, church, their community, they affected everyone because they were just so in awe of the lifestyle and the devotion and what they saw was happening. The Holy Spirit was doing amazing things amongst them. There were signs and wonders and miracles and that people just couldn't keep their mouths shut. St. Francis of Assisi supposedly said the following, maybe you've heard this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Now, this has often been misinterpreted as a justification to live a good life and 
hopefully people will see the gospel in action just by how you live your life. But actually, this is not the case. If you read about St. Francis of Assisi, he was a fervent gospel spreader, and he was a guy who said, your words need to back up how you live. He was someone who preached, and not just the other way around. He preached the gospel all the time. Romans 10 verse 14 says it bluntly like this, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So I think our common goal as a Christ-following community is to tell others about Jesus. Most Christ followers get this and know the importance of this, but they kind of get roped into that live the quiet life and keep my faith to myself kind of lifestyle. I don't want to offend people. And to be honest, that's probably the most selfish lifestyle that you can live. How can you have this amazing gift, this amazing hope, this amazing promise for the future and keep it to yourself? So how do we go about sharing the gospel with our friends and our mates? Well, the way that we should do it is that we should be honest and realistic. We should be winsome and full of grace. We should be urgent and convincing. And above all, we should be doing this in love. So maybe now you're thinking, okay, Craig, I agree with you, and I know what the gospel is all about, and if I had to speak to my, my family or my work colleagues or my mates about this, they will just laugh in my face. They, they will ridicule me, and I, I don't think I'm actually capable of talking to them about the gospel in such a way. But I'd, I'd like to suggest to you that perhaps your credibility as, as a Christian and your presentation uh, of the gospel to your mates is essentially based on how real a person you are. Being genuine in your relationships is fundamental to people actually being convinced of how you live your life and what you're doing. People right, see right through your motives if, um, if you're just trying to convert them. Um, the Bible doesn't call us to make converts. It says we're called to make disciples, which is a long-term commitment to seeing people grow in their knowledge of Jesus. Um, another way of looking at our church community um, is through this diagram, which you may have seen in one of James's emails towards the end of last year. It's called Spaces of Belonging. Um, but you'll see there's four different spaces there, of which two of those involve people coming to us. So that's the fellowship and hospitality. And those are not necessarily bad things. Those are key parts of, of a church community. But you'll be aware that that might be hard for some people or intimidating to come into that space. So that might mean that there, we have to access those other two spaces, service and participation. Those require us to actually go out there to be active and to be seen and, and to be I think to be uh, active in the mission of God, we've got to balance both of those. I don't think it's one or the other or one of those four. We've got to get the balance between all of those four things. And I think within the context of genuine relationship or genuine friendship, I guarantee you there will be opportunities to talk about the gospel. So I thought I'd maybe share a few practical things on how we can actually be really proactive in making opportunities to share the gospel and see how these fit into our spaces of belonging. And I would encourage you to really make a note of one or two things, or there's seven things, so you can write them all down if you want, but maybe one or two things that you can really try and engage to be more practical about how you can share the gospel with those people around you. So the first one is the one I think we are really good at, and that is eating. So we probably have three meals a day, 30 days in a, in a month, so that's 90 meals a month. I did that math in my head. You'll be impressed. Okay, well, why, not you, why don't you get into the habit of just sharing one of those meals with someone who's not yet a Christ follower? Why don't you go to lunch with a coworker and not by yourself? Invite your, invite your neighbors over for dinner. If it's too much work to cook a big dinner, like just order pizza and, and focus on the conversation. Maybe it's something that you can get into a regular rhythm with. For example, when, when, I, was a young, when I was young and I was living at home, my parents' uh, Thursday night was spag ball night, 
And my parents always encouraged me to have a mate over. So my sister and I, there was always another two people at the table on Thursday night for Spagball Night. And that was a great thing, and that's pretty easy to do. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to be a regular. So instead of hopping all over the city to get your fuel or your grocery or haircuts or your meals or coffee or whatever, go to the same place. Get to know the staff there. Get to know their names. Get to know their dogs' names and their family situation. Smile and ask them questions. Don't just sit on your phone while you're waiting for your coffee. Chat, chat to the person. Ask them questions. Build those relationships. Get into good rhythms. Get your coffee at the same time so they get to know you too. Um, you would have seen on our social media that we've posted some of those people that we are getting to know um, within the Chatswood community, and those are connections that you can make as well, and I think you could do the same. Thirdly, why don't you uh, find a hobby? Uh, find a hobby that you can share. Get out and do something that you enjoy with others. I don't think um, God wants you to do stuff totally weird. Why don't you try a rowing club or a cycling group? You can play futsal on a Monday night. You can Share your hobby by even teaching lessons if you want. You can teach sewing or guitar or knitting or baking. One great idea I had was to start a YouTube channel where you, I think like We Love Tennis was a great name and you could play tennis with people and film it, which I thought would be a great idea. Seb paid me a lot of money to mention his YouTube channel. <laughs> Subscribe. Anyway, I think, I think the, the key here is that you've just got to be intentional. You've got to be winsome. You've got to have fun and you've got to be yourself. God wants you to be who you are. Fourthly, why don't you be intentional about talking to your coworkers? How hard is that? But you can take your breaks with intentionality. Go out with your team after work and go for a beer on a Friday. Show interest in your coworkers. Find a, a book or a whiskey club that you could, you could do in your neighborhood. Invite them along and don't, don't be exclusive. If you're a student, you can really make a concerted effort to be in tutorial groups with people that are different to you, other than your usual crew that you might hang out with. You've got to be deliberate in these things, though. You shouldn't have to force and manipulate people to uh, believe the gospel. You really want to be able to share it freely and love as it's part of your life. Fifthly, we already made mention of this, but why don't you volunteer? Just last week, we helped out at the Women's Refuge, and there's going to be an ongoing relationship there. And then last month, we helped out at the Willoughby Carols. There's always going to be so much to do in our city where we can volunteer. And I don't want this to be a thing where this is just like a crusade or a social justice action group or these kinds of compassion things where I'm uh, applying on your guilt feeling. I want us to get involved in what God is doing in this city, how he's restoring people to, full, to fullness. Maybe you could take one Saturday a month to volunteer. Bring your neighbors and friends along with you and say, hey, I'm going to repair a wall at a woman's refuge. Why don't you come and help me? Pretty sure people are quite keen to do that. Spend time serving the church with your mates, serving the city. And I can show you that you'll never run out of opportunities. There will always be opportunities. Even in a first world city like Sydney, there's so many opportunities to volunteer. Sixth little tip that we can do on how to be practical in sharing the gospel is to participate in city events. So instead of spending all your time playing Xbox, watching Netflix, or improving your, I said Candy Crush, but that's not cool, Wordle, people playing Wordle now, I don't know, trying to improve your Wordle score, participate in what's going on in the city. Go to fundraisers, go to festivals, go to cleanups, go to the summer shows and concerts, run the city to Bondi, sell some paintings at a local market. Lunar New Year is coming up this week. Get stuck into what's going on. Strike up conversations, study the culture, talk to the people that are around there, reflect on what you see and hear around you. Let's not become an insular or an exclusive church community. Let's pray for the city. Let's love the city. Let's participate with the city. Our name says it all. We are a church for the city. Finally, and it's not an exclusive list, but this is the seven that I came up with. 
serve your neighbors. God has put you in a specific physical location for a reason. You can serve those people right around you. Why don't you help your neighbor by weeding their garden or mowing or putting up one of those crazy IKEA cabinets, maybe helping them fix their car. You can join the residents association in your area or join the strata committee in your unit block. Ask the local police or rural fire service or Surf Life Saving Club if there's anything that you can help, you can do to help, you can get creative. I think the great thing about this um, Acts chapter 2 passage that we read is that it's not a prescriptive way to do church. If we try and um, if we try and do these like rules and ways to we have to do this and we're obliged to do these via principles, we're going to get burdened and exhausted. This church community was, was just out there to be, to commune together, to pray, to be generous, to worship, and that just that had no power over them to change them in and of themselves. We have to grasp the gospel. If you remember back that picture about uh, the sin that I struggled with, we have to re-continue grasping what the gospel has done for us. And once we continue to grasp that, that's going to change how we act and respond to our community. And finally, perhaps it's like a little asterisk to these seven things. Um, let us know what you're doing so that we can get behind you. If, uh, if you're considering, considering starting a book club or a tennis YouTube channel, let your city group know so that we can get behind you. Uh, some others might actually like to join you. If you're doing an event or you have maybe having a difficult conversation with a colleague, let some people know so we can pray for you and get behind you. If you're organizing something that you need some extra helping hands, let us know so that we can get behind you. Um, we've heard that analogy before. We want to be like that Tour de France peloton where there's, there'll be a time where someone's up front championing something and we get behind them in their slipstream and we encourage them to power through. So as I close, I, I really want to warmly encourage you to to join our community. Okay, perhaps warmly is being too nice. I strongly encourage you to join our community. We are, as you can see, we're a diverse group of people with a multitude different of uh, activities and differences, and I guarantee you there's going to be a place for you to be a part of it. Well, how can, how can I guarantee that there will be a place for you? Well, it's because God is the designer of community, and he wants us to be together, and he wants us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Finally, have a look in verse 46. It says, They worshipped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Are we going to share communion together? Because by Jesus dying on the cross in our place, as I spoke about earlier, we're able to be in community together with God, which is that ultimate relationship that we're looking for. If you're at home or watching online, you can grab some of those things together, and our ushers are going to hand those things out in a moment. But I think communion is a brilliant tradition that we practice regularly here at Church for the City. And we gather to, together to remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross more than 2,000 years ago. We were dead in our sins and we had no hope. Yet Jesus gave himself up for us and he took the wages of our sins on his shoulders and he died in our place. And these, commun these communion elements that we're sharing, they're, they're just symbols of this. The bread which we have is the is a representation of Jesus' body which has been broken for us as a symbol of the punishment that we should have received, but that's been taken by Jesus. And the wine or the juice represents Jesus' blood which was shed for us, as a symbol of us being washed clean and being made righteous again. And there's a reason that the word communion and community have the similar root word. Is this is an action that we can do together as a church community, but also a greater picture of our relationship with Jesus and uh, our relationship with God being restored through what Jesus did on the cross.